Now, can I invite you to turn with me again to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 26? Uh, I'm at home thinking I have this other sermon sort of, I'm really itching in a sense to, to, to get at it and preach it. Uh, but I did say to you my mind was in a quandary. And uh, I want to turn again to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26. I'm going to read this time from verse 15. Right down to verse 21. To those of you who weren't here this morning, we were dealing with our motto text for the year, which is Second Chronicles chapter 25, 26, verse 5. See how easily I forgot that already. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5, thinking about um, the boy king called Uzziah. We're reading Second Chronicles chapter 26 and we're at verse 15. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be in the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, it appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honour from the Lord God. <coughs> then Uzziah was wroth, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. While he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hastened also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. This morning, when we looked at our motto text, we thought about three things to do with King Uzziah. We thought about his priority. We read, and he sought God. We then thought about his praying. And we closed with his 
prosperity. I want us to think now tonight in a fourth sense, tying in with the motto text, the perils of the great king, or Uzziah's perils. See, King Uzziah, remember, came to the throne of Judah, a mere lad of 16. He reigned from Jerusalem for 52 years. The Bible tells us that he found Christ early in life because he was a a spiritual young man. It says that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father did. And one of those right things that he did was, and he sought God. Unquestionably, Uzziah was an Old Testament believer. And he grew up, he became a wise ruler indeed. Uzziah proved himself an able defender and provider of his people. He defeated the Philistines. He broke down the strongholds of Gath and Ashdod, so much so that the Philistine army was rendered powerless. Uzziah also destroyed the Ammonites, an ancient enemy of God, who brought their gifts unto him. Uzziah kept his army in a state of alert and readiness to repulse the enemy at any given moment. He employed clever men who invented weapons of war that gave Judah an advantage over his foes. Furthermore, as king, he looked after the material well-being of his citizens. The economy became strong under his leadership. He went about digging wells. There was the building of towers, the improving of land, planting of vineyards. He had much cattle in abundance. Here was a man who prospered, as we have said, under the guidance of God. And the whole land experienced the effect of such God-given prosperity. Yet alas, this man, at the very height of his fame, made a fatal mistake. He committed a dreadful sin. Sins so seriously that it was to change the rest of his life. Sin in such a way that removed him from the very throne of Israel. For the rest of his days on earth, he was to be a king in name only. His son Jotham took responsibility of the kingdom. This sin resulted in Uzziah's separation from the rest of society itself and sadly led him to being branded as one who had displeased the God of heaven. Now I want you to ask yourself, what was his sin, his chief sin, or what sins did he commit that had such a blight on his life and ruined his influence? The answer is very simple, and yet it's very solemn. Here's the chief sin. Uzziah tried to intrude into the office of the priesthood. One day he visited the temple. Now remember, he's the king. He had often come there to worship God, to offer prayer. But in this occasion, perhaps through zeal or whatever, he decided, I want to be a priest. And he went into the holy place of the temple, a place exclusive to the priests who were consecrated by the Lord. Uzziah went in there to burn incense upon the altar of incense within the holy place. The priests tried to restrain him. The chief priest, Azariah, along with 80 priests, told him that he was wrong. They warned him he would dishonor God. But he was so angry and so wroth that he pushed on in. And as he stood there before the altar with the censer in his hand to burn the incense, 
and was about to light the flame, tradition has it that there was an earthquake occurred, causing a crack in the ceiling of the temple, and that the sun shone through the crack upon the face of the angry king in the holy place. And as the sunlight smote his face, God plagued him with less leprosy. It, it sprang up like a brandishing mark from Almighty God upon him. Now on the surface, you might think, well, that's a fearful price to pray for such a trivial sin. Yet I want to point out tonight that there's no such thing as a trivial sin with God. You see, as I have studied this portion of the Word of God, thinking about our motto text, thinking about the life of Uzziah, the boy king, I thought to myself, this has got serious lessons for us all. Lessons that don't even change with the passing of time. God remembers immutable. God is unchangeable. And so is his precious truth that is revealed in the um, New and Old Testament scriptures for us. And as we have said, we thought this morning about his priority. As a boy king of 16, he set his heart to seek God. And we thought about his praying and what mighty praying it was. Who influenced him to pray? And all the rest. We thought about his prosperity. Remember what we said? That the seeking God is the key to spiritual greatness. And that was the path that that man was on. And yet think at the end of his life. The perils of the great king. I want you to think with me three things. The sins with which... Uzziah failed. He was guilty of a number of sins. The chief sin, of course, being uh, entering into the temple to fulfill the role and function as a priest. As we have said, seeking God was the key to spiritual greatness. And as long as he prayed, he prospered. But once he stopped seeking God, he was no longer spiritually great. We thought of his life, how it started, how it continued. We even thought this morning a little of how it ended. Notice verse 16. Please underline it. Circle the word but. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. You should watch out for the buts of the Bible. You see, something happened to Uzziah. We could ask ourselves and should, what was it? And here's the answer. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. What does that mean? It means he was guilty of the sin of pride. He was guilty of the sin of arrogance. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, he fell headlong into the sin of pride. As we have said, he was not content just to be a king. Remember, he's the most successful king out of all the kings of Judah. But he wanted more. And what did he want? He wanted to be a priest. And he thought to himself, why can't I be a priest? It must have entered his mind. I'm the king after all. Look how great I am. Look how good I am. Look how successful I have become. Look at what I've done. All that I've accomplished. So he goes and he enters into the, the temple 
and he's there to offer the incense on the altar of incense. And at that moment he tried. God smote him with leprosy. Do you know that there's a danger with prosperity? Prosperity is hard to handle. It doesn't matter what kind it is, whether it's spiritual prosperity, material prosperity, physical prosperity, even financial prosperity. J.C. Ryle has said that handling prosperity is like handling a cup of cold water filled to the brim and trying to walk across a room. Now, now you try that. Get a cup cold water, fill it to the brim and walk across your room and try not to spill a drop. He, he says that's very hard to do. That needs a perfect and a steady hand. And how many of us have got a perfect and steady hand? Very, very few. You see, prosperity brings down more people than does adversity. Because when our hearts are full, we're so prone to forget who we are. We're so prone to forget the God who has prospered us. We're so prone to forget our own weakness and sinfulness. We're so prone to forget that we have hearts that can wander from God. We're so prone to forget our dependence on the Lord for everything. We're so prone to forget the key to a successful life. And remember the key. Seeking God was the key to his spiritual greatness. And the Bible says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But, but the inference is, once he left off seeking God, then it happened. His heart became full of pride. I, I don't believe this was something that happened suddenly. I believe that this probably crept up on him over a period of time. I'm convinced there was probably a process of spiritual decline. He's thinking, look how great I am. Look at all I've accomplished. Look at the enemies I've defeated. Look at at the the, the inventions that I've made. I'm famous. (coughs) In fact, it says, and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. In other words, there's nobody like me. And this sin of arrogance was tied into the sin of aggrandizement. He was so full of pride, he forgot to give the honor and the glory and praise to God. His heart became full of carnality. There was carnal reasoning entered into his mind. His heart was full of selfishness. It began to govern and rule and control his life. And he was so full of self-importance. There's things he decided to do that he ought not to have done. He lost the fear of God. He stepped into the temple. Did this man not stop to think? What does God think of me today, right now? Did he not stop to think that God's eyes upon me, God is watching me? Did he not stop to think, how is God going to react to all this? Did he not stop to think, will this get me into trouble with God? Did he not stop to think, I'm going to lose God's smile here, lose his favor and his blessing? Was he conscious of God's smile? Did he not stop to think, I ought to spend time in prayer? I ought to seek God's mind and will if this is the right thing for me to do. Did he not stop to think, 
How can I provoke God in doing this? You see, his heart was full of arrogance. His heart was full of aggrandizement. His heart had lost the fear of God. Aye, and it was full of unbelief. Ryle again says, once you cast off the fear of God, you're casting off your faith in God. In his behaviour here, he was acting practically like an atheist. The very God whom he has known and served for a long time. The very God who has saved him early in life. The very God who has blessed and prospered him. The God whose ear he had up to this time. He just didn't forget that. He forsook it. Remember, unbelief is a sin. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. It's an interesting that his heart even refused to listen to others because there was a sin of anger. Eighty one priests of the Lord withstood him, good men, valiant men, faithful men, they withstood him to his face. They, they, they told him, You're wrong, you're, you're sinning. Surely it takes a brazen man to withstand eighty one good godly men. Let me illustrate, if I was doing something and eighty godly men came and told me, David, you're wrong. That's sin. You're dishonouring God. I'm not sure if I'd want to continue in that sinful pathway. But Uzziah set aside the counsel of valued friends. That's how brazen and how hard-hearted and stubborn his heart had come. What he was literally saying, I'll do my own thing regardless. I want my way. I'm the king. So the spirit of arrogant pride and this self-aggrandizement spirit gave way to the sin of anger. He sinned against the advice of good men because of this proud and foolish spirit. You know, oftentimes, some of God's people are guilty of their I see him. So many areas. Think of those who have been advised about the subject of marriage. They've taken a partner. Someone has said, son or daughter, I don't think that's the right partner for you. Or maybe it's a job. Or maybe it's going to the places of worldly entertainment or the nightclubs of the world. And you're advised by good friends within the family and outside. Counselors who have been faithful to your soul and told you not to do it. And yet you've went ahead. Doesn't the Bible say here then Uzziah was wroth? He was so angry when he was rebuked. And so often we react in that way. Does not tell us where we're really at. The sins with which he failed the Lord. Notice also here the sovereign which he forsook. See, up to this point, God was his king. He was the ruler of his life. He was under the leadership of God as sovereign. And yet we could ask ourselves, well, well, why was he smitten? Why uh, was he dealt with in this way that he was? And here's the answer. It's threefold, and I'll be quick. 
Natural man cannot enter into God's presence alone. See, the teaching of the Bible is that man in his natural state is not fit to enter into God's presence alone. Man in and of himself has no right to be in the holy presence of the true and the living God. This truth is explicitly taught here in Second Chronicles chapter 26. So think of this. King Uzziah came from the most royal and powerful house in all of Judah. Royal blood flowed in his veins. His word was binding. His commandments were law. Yet even this great monarch was not fit to enter into God's presence alone. He had no right to be in the holy place. Now the holy place was the location where the presence of Jehovah was manifested in a most unique fashion. It was indeed a secret place. A secret place where the Shekinah glory could be seen and experienced. And no man in and of himself or woman for that matter, not even the most powerful and popular ruler on earth, had any right to enter into the holy place. And the moment he did, he was punished. And when he did it, he was not only failing because he committed sin, but he was forsaking his sovereign. This dreadful and incurable law still operates today. Individual men and women cannot and must not enter into God's holy presence alone. And if they do, they will die. Isn't this what the Bible tells us here in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21 and in the verse 27? It says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And here's the reason that natural man cannot enter into God's presence on his own, in that we're all defiled. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The nature of sin teaches us in a physical and a symbolic way. Remember once Adam became a defiled sinner, he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And he never again entered the place where, where God dwelt. He was barred forever. The second thing that Uzziah forgot was that as a sinful man he needed a priest to help him to meet God. You see, he knew the Old Testament teaching. King Uzziah lived under the Mosaic law. He knew that only Aaron's sons could be priests. He knew that only they alone could offer the sacrifice and enter into the holy place. He knew that the high priest alone could enter into the holiest of holies uh, once a year, but not without blood. He knew the sons of Aaron had full charge of the tabernacle and the temple. And only they could offer sacrifices well-pleasing to God. He knew the Old Testament history. He should have remembered Korah's rebellion, number 16. He should have learned the lesson. Woe be to any other man who enters into God's presence without a legitimate priest or wants to become a priest. Isaiah knew of the necessity of the constituted priesthood in the Old Testament. And they needed them to help him to worship God. He knew he was unfit by nature and practice to enter into the Lord's presence alone. But despite his supposed knowledge... Despite the teaching of the law, despite the history, he foolishly contravened that law of God. Sadly, 
He paid the penalty for it. Once the leprosy appeared, he, he fled away. The Bible says he, he, he hastened out of the house of God. Never came back. And that day he learned God had cut him off. What about you tonight? Are you ready to enter into God's presence? Have you realized that you're sinful and defiled in his sight? Do you understand that you need a priest to introduce you to God? One who can speak to God for you? One who can offer a sacrifice for you? One who can supplicate God's throne for you? So that you can be acceptable to the Lord. And the third thing is this. Only one priest is the proper qualifications. Now there's no such thing of course today as a sacrificing priesthood. Roman Catholic priests, I just want to add this, are not true priests of God. We have to say rather sadly that, that they are blatant deceivers and fraudulent men. They may call themselves priests, but they are not. And even men in what we call Protestant pulpits, be they Anglican or Lutheran or whatever, who call themselves priests, are not true Bible-believing priests. Because there's only one priest who actually possesses all the necessary qualifications to be a priest. If you turn over there in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and just look with me at the verse 14, and um, maybe you want to underline it, you may already have it underlined, and that's good. But over there in Hebrews chapter 4, remember what we read. The Apostle Paul was writing to encourage God's people to get their eyes in Christ. And he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're told who our great high priest is. Jesus, the Son of God. We're told here what he is. He's a great high priest. We're told where he is in the heaven. We're told what he's like, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. In other words, he identifies with us in our temptation and suffering because he's already been tempted. He's already experienced that suffering. And you see the Lord Jesus, he's able to represent man because of his true humanity. He was a real true man, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he's able to represent God because he is very God of very God. Great is the mystery of godliness we thought at Christmas time. God is manifest in the flesh. And what a wonderful thing it is. The Apostle Paul was able to tell us there again in Hebrews um, uh, chapter 8. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord 
pitched and not man. The Lord Jesus not only has the proper qualifications in that he's able to represent God and man, but remember all the Old Testament sacrifices were fulfilled in him. They were only shadows and types. They didn't actually take away the guilt of sin. But it's written of Christ, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It's written of him, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down in the right hand of God. And when you think about one priest that has the proper qualifications, only the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to the fore. And you see, Uzziah was not allowed to be such a type. God actually was acting when he smote him with leprosy to protect the honour and the glory, I believe, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only one priest had the qualification to hold the dual office of being a king and a priest at the same time. And that was the Lord Jesus himself. And that's why God smote him with leprosy. I want you to think as well in closing about the success which he forfeited. We, we have thought about our text this morning and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But the moment he stopped seeking God, he lost the blessing of God. This man was greatly humbled. This man ended his days living in solitude and separation from the Lord. Could I tell you, he was never ever back in the temple. Could I tell you, he displeased the God of heaven. And here it is. And it's recorded in our Bibles. Didn't the priest tell him, Neither shall it be for thine honour from the Lord God. And here's the success that he forfeited. All because of the sins in which he failed and the sovereign that he forsook. We said this morning how you start's important and how you start in this new year is important. Start with God. Start with Jesus Christ. Come to him as Lord and Savior. If you don't already know him, we encourage you to repent of your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. To me, that's the most important thing. We, we confess to you that we don't know what the new year will bring for any of us. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Any of our lives could be taken. Um, Wednesday and Thursday, we got a phone call that uh, Ernie had taken a turn for the worst, and we, we rushed to his bedside, and we spent a couple of days with him, uh, Rosemary and myself and Sammy. I think Sammy was there one night to three in the morning. Uh, and um, now he's rallied. And we expected, in fact, even the nurse said to me, the doctor said to me, the ambulance driver said to me, oh, he hasn't very long to go. And, you know, when I was back in on Friday and there he was sort of sitting up in bed and the minute I came in through the door, is that you, David? Yes, Ernie. Glad to see ye. And, of course, I told him what had happened in this past 48 hours. I don't remember it, he says. I just thought of those words, my times are in your hands. Your times are in the hands of the Lord. And how you start is very important. And the only way to start to get right with God and to be in a right relationship with the Lord and be assured of heaven is to come as a sinner to Jesus Christ and cry out, Lord, save me, I perish.
But how you start, while well, it's important. How you end, it's also important. How will you and I end our days? How will our journey close? Will it be said of us that we've displeased the God of heaven? Or will it be, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou in to the joy of thy Lord. You know what the Lord is looking for? He's looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those young people who have come and said, Lord, here's my heart, take and seal it. Lord, I'm giving myself to you 100%. Lord, I want to be a good and faithful servant of yours. And I'm going to live for your honour and for your glory all my days. Remember, this is a boy king who was saved as a young teenager, who sought God for 52 years. But somewhere as his days came to a close, this is what happened to him. And he forfeited much success. And it makes for very sad, humbling reading. None of us shall continue in our own strength and power. We need the Lord. That's why it's important that we pray. That's why it's important that we seek him. I leave this little thought. The perils of a great king. The sins with which he failed. You deal with whatever sins is in your heart. By God's grace, I'll try to deal with whatever's in mine. Let's remember that as a sovereign we must not forsake. We can't forsake the teaching and the law of our God. We can't enter God's presence by ourselves. We need a priest to introduce us to God. God has provided it. The great high priest, Jesus Christ, only he has the qualifications. So let's go to him. Let's make sure that he's our prophet and priest and king. Let's bow the knee to him. Thank the Lord for his sacrifice in his life of intercession. And let's make sure that we don't forfeit whatever the success and the prosperity God has for us individually and as a church. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to our hearts this evening.